You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers, and you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It's Friday. It's our last show of the week. We'll be back to a normal schedule next week. That means Monday. Tuesday, Thursday, and we're going to get to a story a little bit later that we didn't get to last week, and it was a big story, and this is evidence and proof of why we need to space these out a little bit. Now, last week was a little bit different for me because I needed to get the shows in before I went on vacation. That's not going to be a problem very often. I don't go on vacation very often, but... It's why we need to to spread these out a little bit in the offseason because stories are going to happen and you never know when something is going to come up, when someone is going to make a decision, when someone is going to is going to, you know, do something dumb and end up in the papers for the wrong reason. I mean, these are all things that then can and do and will certainly happen over the course of the next weeks and months. So, I want to start with something that I wrote for Acme Packing Company. And I'm going to shamelessly plug it because it's something that we we started to talk about earlier um, in the in the discussion about Mike Patton, and it's something that we've long talked about with Dom Capers. And one of the things that became clear by the end of Dom Capers' tenure was he not only couldn't stop the best quarterbacks, he couldn't stop anyone. And in in about the middle of the season, uh, no, December, I wrote that basically the Packers' defense was the cure from the common quarterback. And almost every team that the Packers played over the course of the season, the quarterback played above their standard for that year or their career standard. And Mike Patton, in his time in New York and Buffalo, is not not just the opposite. He is the opposite to the nth degree. I mean, the differences are incredibly stark. And so I just I just wanted to rehash some of it and, and give you some of those numbers. If you haven't seen the article, please go to DacmePackingCompany.com. It's called Mike Pettin's Track Record Against Top QBs Offer Welcome Change for Packers Defense. And what I did was I I, I dove into the numbers. And I went back and and in the in the years that Mike Pettin coordinated a defense, I looked at games where he faced a quarterback who has been to at least two Pro Bowls. That that takes off the board guys like Jake DeLome. Uh, it takes off the board guys like Matthew Stafford who have never been to a Pro Bowl. It it puts on some some guys who maybe shouldn't be on a list like this. Matt Schaub is a multiple time Pro Bowler. Alex Smith is a multiple time Pro Bowler. But the idea was to create a standard by which we could say these are good quarterbacks. And so we're going to use the Pro Bowl. It, it, again, not an ideal standard, but there really is no ideal standard. Unless you're just going to eyeball it. 
And then there's no way of being at all objective about it. So I picked multiple Pro Bowls, and it ends up being a very good metric, especially in the case of Mike Pettin, because in all of those years, he was in a division with Tom Brady. So no matter what, he's playing Tom Brady twice a year. And then you throw in the Jets won a bunch of games in those years, and so they played Peyton Manning. They played Drew Brees a couple times. They played Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers. I mean, they, Aaron Rodgers is in this list. And so there's 41 games against teams that had a quarterback who was a multiple-time Pro Bowler. In those games, those quarterbacks completed 59% of their throws, averaged a little over seven yards an attempt, and averaged 233 yards a game. That's a quarterback rating of 87. What do those numbers mean? Well, to put them into context, okay, only 10 of those 41 games included a 100 passer rating by the opponent quarterback, okay? Only 10 of 41. The Packers last season averaged, okay, averaged an opponent passer rating of 102, and that includes, that's second worst in the league, okay? Averaged 102. And that includes games against guys like Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, Deshaun Kaiser, Mitch Trubisky, Mike Glennon. Averaged. And in 41 games, only 10 times against the best quarterbacks in football did a Mike Pettin coordinated defense allow a passer rating over 100. Just six of those games saw a quarterback throw for three or more touchdowns and only twice in 41 games the equivalent of nearly three seasons did a quarterback throw for four or more touchdowns. That is remarkable. It's remarkable. And so let's let's put this another way, okay? So the reason this is important, if you put all these players together, they are the best quarterbacks in the league. It's Tom Brady, it's Ben Roethlisberger, it's Peyton Manning, it's all these guys, right? And even if you add in the Alex Smiths and the Matt Schaubs of the world, remember Matt Schaub, there was a time where he was an above average player. He was a solid to, you know, a little bit above solid quarterback. And yeah, there, there, were, there wasn't the depth of talent that there is now. So if you take all these, these stats and these numbers and, and what do they mean, right? So if you just take the 41 games... And you, and you make it a player. It is Pro Bowl quarterback facing Mike Patton. Multiple Pro Bowl quarterback. So very good quarterback X facing Mike Patton. If he's a single player, these are the best quarterbacks in the league. Top 10, top 8. In the case of the Bradys and the Mannings and the Roethlisbergers, top 2, 3, 4, 5. If they were a single player in these 41 games and you took his stats over the course of the season on a per-game basis, on an efficiency basis, this quarterback, this multiple-time Pro Bowl quarterback facing Mike Pettin, would have been tied for 16th in yards per attempt last season. He would have been 14th in yards per game. And he would have been 17th in passer rating. So remember that thing about the, the Packers take, can take a bad quarterback and make him solid? You can take the 30th best quarterback in the league and make him 15th or 16th. Well, Mike Pettin does the inverse. And he takes 
great quarterbacks and makes them average. And that is a skill that very few defensive coaches have. I mean, you're, you're talking about this is, a, this is, a, this is a, a Bill Belichick trait. This is a Pete Carroll trait. Very few coaches can do this. And it's not just Rex Ryan. Because if you look at, at the Rex Ryan defenses after Mike Patton left, you go, the, those Buffalo defenses, when, when Rex is, gets to Buffalo, Mike Patton's not there, and those defenses got worse. They got worse. It was a top-five defense with Mike Patton. Rex Ryan shows up, and all of a sudden, they're, they're not as good running the same, somehow running, not the exact same, but running a very similar defense. How does that happen? Well, because, and, and Rex Ryan will tell you, Mike Patton deserves a lot of that credit. And the numbers become even more absurd in the playoffs. So in 16 playoff games for the Packers, that is a full season's worth of games. So this is, this is a, moderately, a moderate sample size. The Packers defense under Dom Capers gave up 26.4 points per game. 60.7 completion percentage, and eight over eight yards per attempt, and a 91.5 passer rating. Okay? Just, just for understanding here, Drew Brees led the league in yards per attempt this season, 8.1. Just a little bit over the playoff game average for the Packers. The quarterback facing the Packers in the playoffs is statistically, on a per-throw basis, the most, essentially, the most effective quarterback in the league. And that includes games against Joe Webb, Caleb Haney, Kirk Cousins. I mean, these are not world beaters here. Mike Patton, on the other hand, and this is a smaller sample size, just six games, but those six games, Six games were against Peyton Manning twice, Carson Palmer, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, and Ben Roethlisberger. The best quarterbacks in the AFC. The best quarterbacks really in football outside of, of maybe two or three other guys. In those games, the Petten defenses gave up 19.8 points, almost a touchdown less, 62.4% completions, 7.2 yards per attempt, and an 85 passer rating. Fewer points. Better on a per-play basis, better on an efficiency basis. And, and what's really remarkable is in that 41-game sample size, that one against just good quarterbacks, which does include playoffs, so this is, this is mixing data here, but the Petten defense has allowed 23.8 points per game. If that were a season this year, in 2017, that would have been 22nd in the league in total defense, 23.8 points. It's a below-average number. But against very good quarterbacks, remember. Most teams do not play 16 games against very good quarterbacks. In fact, no team does. In the playoffs, that number falls to the 19.8 that I mentioned. That number, had it been a defense this season, would have been the eighth best defense in football. So not only does Mike Pettin make good quarterbacks mediocre, but in the biggest games against the best quarterbacks in the league, Peyton Manning in his prime, Tom Brady in his prime, Phillip Rivers in his prime, Ben Roethlisberger in his prime, his defenses get better. That is really something to be excited about if you're a Packers fan. 
Now, before we move on, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge giveaway. Longtime listeners of the show will know exactly what I'm talking about, and yet, a lot of you have not entered. I don't know why. Enter. It's easy. It is so easy. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes, and you'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. That's a $39.99 value. That gets you access to player grades, snap counts, position ranks, fantasy projections, tools, charts, NFL draft content. There is there is really a wealth of NFL draft content that, that will be useful to you in the coming weeks and months. So this would be a great time to get some free stuff behind a paywall. Who doesn't like free stuff? Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. It's that easy. I want to rehash. Eh, not rehash. I want to I want to re-examine a discussion we had yesterday because it was something that happened on Packers Twitter today with Jordy Nelson. And what what should be done with Nelson and how his contract should be handled. And I uh, you know, I defended my position that that I think you don't have he doesn't have to be on the roster. I think there's a world in which both Nelson and Cobb are on the roster next year at their current contracts. And I've made clear that if I were going to pick one to keep on his current contract, it would be Jordy Nelson. And the reason that I that I think that is because Nelson is still a valuable red zone asset. He is still a reliable third down asset. And he can play in the slot. Randall Cobb cannot play outside. If the Packers decide they're going to move on from Jordy Nelson, they might as well move on from Randall Cobb as well. Because Randall Cobb can't play outside. Or at least the Packers don't want him outside. They, they don't use him outside very often. Now, my, my colleague and friend Jason Hershorn pointed out that under Joe Philbin, this offense was much more multiple. And... We may see more guys in the slot. Nelson may be in the slot more. Adams may be in the slot more. There could be some different changes. But but Randall Cobb has, has essentially proven over the last two or three years, he's just not a boundary receiver. And so how do you value these guys? And whose production is more easily replaceable? And, and I think it's pretty clear that you can get not just everything you get from Cobb, potentially more from Cobb, with Ty Montgomery and Jordy Nelson than you would from Randall Cobb. And so in that way, I think it makes more sense to say, Randall Cobb, we're done with this experiment. And I think the move is to try and trade him. I don't think you restructure that contract. I think you just say it's time to move on. Because frankly, if you want to keep Nelson, it doesn't really make sense to have Cobb as well. Ty Montgomery is younger. He's clearly more athletic. Now, he's had issues staying on the field. One of the reasons Randall Cobb has lost a lot of his athleticism is because he has been banged up. And Ty Montgomery has not proven he can stay on the field. Trevor Davis has not proven he is an NFL receiver or anything close to it. So how the Packers proceed here is really fascinating to me. Now, I think Jordy Nelson has said that he will take a pay cut. So how do the Packers hear that? How do they receive that? Do they say, okay, we want you to play for $7 million this year, and that's it. And we're not going to, we're going to, we'll take a team option for eight. And, it'll, and the contract will ultimately be for more money than you're set to make next year in the last year of your deal. Next year being 2018, so not really next year. It is next year, though it's not the, the next league year. 
And maybe Jordy says, that's great. The other option is you cut him. And I suppose the third option would be you keep him on the team at the number. Usually restructuring involves additional years. You, you spread out the money and you figure it out. And you, you add signing bonuses and you get cute with the cap to try and make it work. I don't want to add years to the Jordy Nelson contract because his lateral agility is gone. We've talked about this multiple times. It hurts me to say. There, he, is, he is specifically useful now. I think even, even two years ago, he was just plain useful. Coming off the ACL injury, he proved he could still play, even if he wasn't the guy that he was pre-injury, when he could just do everything on the field and was one of the most underrated great receivers in football. And in 2016, he showed that he can still be a great player. He can still dominate games. And he can still do more than just be an ESP connection, but he did show the waning of his athleticism. And this last year with, with Brett Hundley, I understand you can you can throw all the clips you want up of, you know, Jordy beats a guy on a on a skinny post, Jordy runs a crossing route. Most of when he's really open, it is off coverage, and it's an underneath throw, and he catches the ball and goes down, or he clears his own, he finds a space, and it has really nothing to do with him. As much as it does, you're, it's a team playing zone coverage. They let him loose, and he gets free because it's his own coverage. And guys are going to be open in zone coverages if if you don't communicate. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the receiver or his ability to get open. But it, it's pretty simple to me that the Packers do not have an heir apparent at the outside receiver position yet. Michael Clark could be that guy. He's got a long way to go. But in terms of who can be the slot weapon, Jordy Nelson can be the slot weapon. The problem with that is you just don't have another guy to put on the outside. But Ty Montgomery can be that slot weapon. Maybe you flex out Aaron Jones. Maybe they add a pass catcher in the draft. Maybe they add a tight end in free agency or in the draft. Maybe they add a receiver in the draft. You sign Marquise Lee, he can play in the slot. He can take the top off a of defense. He can do all the things that, that you want to do and he can do some of them in a more impactful way than Randall Cobb because Randall Cobb can't challenge a defense over the top anymore. Not really. And obviously Jordy Nelson can't. Devontae Adams can't. So why not bring in a guy who has more speed? I just, it, it doesn't make sense to me, given the way this offense has looked and the way it has evolved, to say we, need to, we should run this back. It just doesn't make sense. I don't think you need to make a change for change's sake, but it just doesn't make sense to say we're going to run this back, especially when you look at Aaron Rodgers and the lack of big plays lately and the sh- and the short. Part of that is is was the issues with the running game the last couple of years and Eddie Lacy's injuries and his inability to stay healthy, and that's all part of this. And I think if Aaron Jones can stay healthy and Jamal Williams can stay healthy, that this running game can be very good, and so maybe... If you're Mike McCarthy, you can take out some of those extended handoff throws from Aaron Rodgers and say, well, if we're going to do that, we might as well hand the ball to Aaron Jones because he's going to get us four or five, six yards. Why do I need to throw those ridiculous screens that everyone can see is coming, including and especially the defense, 
and throw the ball to Jordy Nelson, who can't make anyone miss anymore. There's some... I know the offensive staff is is taking shape here. There's a lot of questions still to be answered about this about this offense. How they approach handling these contracts, how they approach reshaping and revamping this offense with Aaron Rodgers back in the fold. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It's all-star time in the NBA. It's getting to be trade deadline time in the NBA. And so there's no better time than now for you to get on board with the Milwaukee Bucks podcast that everyone should be listening to the Locked On Bucks podcast. Giannis is establishing himself as one of the best players in the game. Right now, he is the best athlete in Wisconsin going. It helps to be pretty much the only major athlete in Wisconsin going. But never mind that. There's so so much to talk about. Jabari Parker is coming back. Eric Bledsoe and, and Chris Middleton. There is so much excitement about this Bucks team. And, and frankly... Plenty of people upset about Jason Kidd and, and lineups and trying to get this this thing on track in a way that is that is more acceptable to fans who seem to think that the Bucks should be a two seed. But all that stuff makes for great radio, makes for great discussion. So stay locked on Bucks the same way you stay locked on Packers. The last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here is uh, Edgar Bennett and Mike Turgovac. Former Packers assistants are going to sign in Oakland with John Gruden. We were we were waiting to see what was going to happen with Edgar Bennett. Could he come back in a in a lesser role? And it, it looks like he will not. So he will coach receivers for Oakland. The Raiders wanted Elliot Wolf, and now they've gotten two Packers coaches instead. And Elliot Wolf is the assistant GM in Cleveland. This was not something we talked about last week when it happened. I was on my way out of the country. And so we didn't get to it. And there was too much to talk about when I got back. It sort of got lost in the fold here. And this was something that when we talked about Russ Ball and who would be the next GM and Brian Gutekinds, that the likelihood was one of these guys was leaving. One of these guys was going to get a better offer. And once whoever was anointed as the next Packers GM, someone or a group of people were going to leave. And so I think it's unfortunate that Wolf wasn't the, the candidate in some ways because obviously his father is the reason the Packers are are back to being the Packers. They set all of this in motion, the Wolf family. Elliot has been around the organization for years. Ron obviously was the was the architect behind the Mike Holmgren teams. Ron Wolf hired Brian Gutekinst. He groomed Ted Thompson. And so, I mean, this is this is all part of a, a, a big, a big Packers family, and Elliot Wolf is no longer part of that family. And he wanted to be. He wanted to be the GM in Green Bay, like his dad. In some ways, I think it's good though for him, because that kind of legacy, your father is a Hall of Famer. Do you really want to go and live in the shadow of your dad? And maybe he doesn't see it that way. Maybe it's not a shadow. But to have to live up to those expectations would be tough. And there'd be a lot of pressure. And he's young. And I think the Packers, I, I, I can't know if the Packers made the right call. We won't know until we see how this how this team is, is put together for the next five or ten years. But I hope Packer fans can wish Elliot Wolf well. I hope they can they can continue to, to cheer for John Dorsey. I have always thought it was it was 
fun to see Packers front office people succeeding in a way that is rarely fun to see Packers, former Packers players succeeding in other teams. And that's sort of the nature of this. You get to see them build something and understand that that was, that was a Packers person that did that. They put together a winning team. Now, I know it was hard for Packers fans to watch this, the Seahawks win a Super Bowl with John Schneider. And if the Chiefs would have won a Super Bowl with John Dorsey, that would have been less difficult. AFC team didn't beat the Packers and route to a Super Bowl. But when you create a lot of talent, you're going to lose a lot of talent. And so it's going to be up to Gutekinds, to Ball, to Mark Murphy, to keep this infrastructure in place, to continue to churn out talent, to replace the guys that are there because there has been a talent drain on this team. Alonzo Highsmith is already in Cleveland. So they, they, need to, they need to make sure that the roster is deep. They need to make sure they have a bench of guys who can come in and they can groom. And having Ted Thompson there, there helps because he can maintain the, the consistency and the continuity. We're going to see. That's all a part of the equation here. So the Packers, this is obviously the most change that they've had in a long, long time. All in one offseason. I mean, they've changed defensive coordinators before. They've changed offensive coordinators before. They've changed GMs before. Not since not since Mike McCarthy has this much changed. And even then, they didn't have a new GM and all new coordinators. Because Ted Thompson was the guy that said, Mike, you're my guy. So this is, this is a very new experience for Green Bay. Really unprecedented in, in my lifetime, frankly. And if you look at some of the steadiest franchises in football, I mean, the Patriots, there's there's gossip and rumors and innuendo in the press about them. The, the Giants, who have historically been one of the most stable franchises in the league over the last, I mean, really 25 years, they fired another head coach. The Steelers, there's, there's discussion, is Mike Tomlin on the hot seat? They fired their offensive coordinator, Todd Haley. The Blue Bloods of the NFL, the most stable franchises in the league, are going through upheaval this offseason, turmoil, the Seahawks, clean house, outside of Pete Carroll and John Schneider. This has been a season, an offseason already of, of turmoil, of tumult, and it's what makes the NFL fun. It, it is certainly not fun for those coaches and, and those front office people who have to deal with it, just like it's not fun for the players who, who don't know what their future is going to be like. But this is... This is part of what makes it all exciting. It's part of what makes it dramatic. And it's part of why things change year to year. So we're going to be back next week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And hopefully we'll, we'll be able to take a step back. We'll be able to look at the NFC Championship game. The AFC Championship game will have a Super Bowl matchup set. And who knows? Could be Minnesota in their own building. That would be wild. Packer fans probably feel conflicted about it. Do they do they want Minnesota to win? That would be a bummer, I think, for a lot of Packer fans. But at the same time, there's a lot of of rivalry between fans of the Patriots and the Packers because Brady fans get mad that Rodgers gets so adored, and Rodgers fans get so mad that that Brady is considered the greatest of all time, and they feel like, well, why don't we go to the Super Bowl every year? So, if you're one of those fans. Who do you want to win? Do you want your, your hated rival who knocked out that quarterback who never won a Super Bowl and you get to joke about all the choke jobs and, and all of the, the, you know, the silly, why don't you pour the Vikings cereal 
jokes. You lose that if they win the Super Bowl. Or do you cheer for Brady to get his sixth ring and solidify his standing as the greatest of all time in the minds of most people? I'm not one of those people, but most people. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a lot more. And so you need to stay locked on Packers.